the legal cannabis industry has unlocked generational wealth opportunities across the country. But the industry's regulatory complexities, constant state of change, and speed of evolution drive confusion for entrepreneurs and investors alike. On this podcast, we'll interview the industry leaders who are shaping the future of the legal cannabis industry to help our listeners understand these idiosyncrasies. This is Cannabis Unlocked, hosted by Key Investment Partners. So good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the latest podcast of Key Investment Partners, Unlocking Cannabis Investments. Today, I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, Colby McKenzie of Enlighten. Colby, great to speak with you today. Yeah, you as well. Happy to be on. Awesome. Well, really appreciate you taking the time to join us here. I think you and I have now known each other for about three years. I want to say um, we first met at that uh, at an NCIA conference in San Jose, yeah. right? Yeah, that's right. That's funny. Yeah, it's like such a random event too. I was speaking at it and I was supposed to leave, but I stuck around for like the first little bit and walked the floor and just happened to bump into you as you were like just getting going, figuring out the, the cannabis space. The timing was perfect. Very yeah, serendipitous. <laughs> very serendipitous. It's crazy how it all uh, comes together. Because now, obviously, for, for the listeners who may not know, Colby is um, the CEO of Enlighten as well as a strategic advisor to Key. So we've gotten to know him very well through, through that capacity. Um, and Colby, you know, I think one of the things that I always found really interesting about your background is, you know, how you uh, came from a legal background and then decided to get into the cannabis industry based on some of uh, the transaction you'd seen in, you know, pre-cannabis life. So we'd love to just hear a little bit more of that story and, and how you decided to take the leap in cannabis. Yeah. And I, funny enough, I was telling somebody else recently, I it, it fell into it very backwards, I'll say. Like I didn't go out looking to get into the cannabis space. And if somebody had to ask me five years ago, if I would have been in the cannabis space, I would have probably laughed and said, no. But what happened was I did a deal when I was still at Weill practicing as a M&A attorney. And the deal was in the digital out-of-home space. And I immediately had my eyes open. I was like, oh my gosh, like companies that do this are worth this much. And so I started doing a bunch of diligence after I went out on my own and started my own uh, boutique equity fund. And really all roads led to this one person. And this one person happened to live in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And I was... I literally talked to somebody in Toronto, talked to somebody in California, talked to somebody in New York, and they're all like, you should meet this guy in Bowling Green. So I called up who uh, is now my co-founder and partner, Jeremy Jacobs, and basically said, hey, everybody said I need to meet you. I'm just going to fly to Bowling Green and, and figure it out once we get there. But if everybody said I should meet you, I'm going to come meet you. And before I left his office, he had convinced me that not only I should partner with him, but that I should look and weren't very focused in the cannabis space in this pilot that he'd been running for like the last two years. And if anybody knows Jeremy, they will know that that is exactly what he does is he got me in his office and somehow before I left, he had convinced me to drop everything and partner with him in a space <laughs> that I had never even thought about looking at. <laughs> That's amazing. And in Bowling Green, nonetheless, right? Not, not necessarily what you typically think of as a hub for cannabis business. Exactly. Exactly. And the rest is history. Now that would have been late 2016. So wow. coming up in five years in the space. That's fantastic. And so for those who uh, don't know about the digital out-of-home space, love if you just expect, expand a little bit on what that means and what you do at Enlighten. Yeah. So Enlighten is a retail and media technology company, really cut our teeth in the space, focused on 
place-based media. So you walk into a dispensary and at the time, 2016, like people were very much new to cannabis and the dispensary was in many ways overwhelming. So we put big screen TVs in, they were running cannabis education, allowing people to have kind of that nascent television playing and giving them education without feeling overwhelmed or feeling stupid if they ask a bunch of questions that they felt they maybe shouldn't know. And so what started off as an education network that was at the time ad supported has now blossomed into an actual full stack technology company that runs both in dispensary environments, whether it be the place-based media, whether it be POS integrated menus, kiosks, literally end to end all of those consumer touch points sitting inside the dispensary, as well as now marrying that data and that person to outside of the dispensary and making sure you can reach them in that full funnel and full customer journey, which again, similar to that previous story, if somebody had asked, this would have been the evolution of Enlightened, I probably would have shook my head, but the cannabis space is so dynamic. And if you're following and listening to what the customers are asking, it takes you down a path sometimes that you maybe not have would have thought about yourself, but as the industry is involved in customers' demands and needs have kind of evolved, it became one of those things where we were just working to meet the, the needs of the industry. That's fantastic. And Colby, I'm curious, because you know one, one common thread I've seen amongst a lot of great investors is they come from a legal background, but don't like to actually practice law. And you know, I think Sam Zell personally- There's a lot of us. Perfect example of that. So yeah, so I just would love to hear your thoughts on you know, how coming from law school and a legal background is translated into working as both an operator and investor in the industry. And so the one thing that law school teaches you, no matter if you go on to practice for a hundred years or you never practice, which I had some friends out of law school that never practiced, is it basically breaks your brain down to look for problems because all day you're reading cases about the worst case scenario, the worst case scenario, bad things happening, litigation. And so you're constantly doing what's called like issue finding and it's all driven around like bad things happening. And so you come out of law school, A, hyper-focused and attention to detail, but also I'll say, maybe this is just me, but I assume it's many attorneys, you have a somewhat pessimistic view on how things could go. And in doing so, it makes you not only detail-oriented, but also very, uh, you're always looking to protect against downside risk because that's what you're doing in law school is figuring out that downside risk. And so from an investor hat, it keeps you focused on making sure you're doing good risk-adjusted investments, really making sure you're thoughtful and thinking through things, which I think some people, especially early days in the cannabis space, just got excited and were making investments. Whereas if you're thoughtful, which that legal hat allows you to do, it allows you to kind of view things through a different lens. And from an operator's perspective, like it's weird how much everyday life touches legal specifics, right? Whether it's hiring an employee, whether it's entering a partnership, I came from an M&A background and the cannabis space is very rapidly consolidating. So thinking through things in a way that allow you to operate at maximum efficiencies while leveraging literally every day touching some legal aspect. And again, going back to the point of like, you view everything in a very detailed way and really kind of buttoned up, which I think in the cannabis space in particular, when in the early days, people were pretty free and loose, it allowed you to ensure that you were running a tight ship and, and were able to kind of last through kind of the iterations and storms and 
who knows what are we in now cannabis 3.0 4.0 it's it's hard to keep up but all these iterations that we've seen it allows you to kind of navigate and get through all that absolutely and you know i think it's a great point you bring up in terms of the downside risk right I, you know i think a lot of folks on the investment side as well get into cannabis because naturally they see the huge growth opportunity and they're thinking about the upside but at the end of the day right rule number one of investing don't lose money rule number two see rule number one so i think that really does translate to the legal background 100 <laughs> yes. and and what you're seeing now is more and more sophisticated investors have migrated into the space and deal terms now look like deal terms that you would have seen before whereas in the early days you were seeing a lot of like common equity investments and things that just didn't have necessarily downside protection, or you would see like uh, convertible notes with massive caps on them, which is kind of defeating the purpose of the kind of that convertible note. And so what you see now is pretty much cookie cutter terms that you would see outside of the space. And I think it's because you've had more and more sophisticated investors come in and teach the entrepreneurs or force the entrepreneurs to learn maybe <laughs> what exactly, uh, you should be expecting in each round of your funding. That makes sense. Uh, so shifting gears a little bit, would love to just talk about the cannabis technology landscape more broadly. You know, as you mentioned, you've been in it for about five years now. So, you know, I'm sure you've seen it undergo some pretty massive changes. And so maybe just to kick things off, would love to hear some thoughts on, you know, what it looked like in 2016 and, and some of the key changes you've seen over the last few years. Yeah, so when, when the early... Cantech entrepreneurs showed up, it was very unique space because you're having to deal with two situations that are something you probably wouldn't have had to overcome in traditional industries. One is you're working with people that are hesitant as they've come online and as they've been kind of beaten and bruised in that process of coming online into a legal market where they're very hesitant to, to lean into technology in many ways. And at the same time, there is no underlying technology in the space. So you're showing up with a blank space. It's not like you could create a plug-in to a larger system, right. thereby create value without having to create the entirety of the infrastructure. And so all of us that showed up were like, oh my gosh, like we, you have to start from square one and build from there while also educating and easing the minds of all of your end customers. And that is not an easy road to sled and you'll, I mean, the carnage is there. If you look back to some of the most popular cannabis technology companies in 2015, 16, 17 range, that maybe doesn't line up with who are the market leaders today. And, and what happened was a lot of the early guys came in and tried to white label and slightly tweak for the cannabis industry technologies. And what I think people quickly learned is it's pretty tough to do that particularly with kind of the seed to sale and really focusing on legal compliance and the complexity of the space and state to state. Every single state had different nuance that you were having to kind of fine tune to make sure you uh, adhere to all the laws. And so what started as maybe white label with a few tweaks ended up being like wholesale technology building from the ground up in many ways. And I think that is a tough process, both from a capital perspective, but also just a time perspective. So there's this period of time where maybe there was technology in the space and it was great to have something, but none of it was really that great. And then you quickly see this massive ramp and the early guys that went on to be winners, figuring it out, finding their footing and developing technology 
or others coming in and finding a way to provide value and scale, whether that was with a big uh, bank account or not. Mm-hmm. And now you sh- you have people that have really created some incredible technologies that in many ways, I would say is significantly harder than it would have been in an industry that kind of had underlying technology to build off of rather than a blank slate. Eh, and there's pros and cons to that, right? Yep. And for folks who aren't as familiar with the cannabis industry, can you explain a little bit about the dynamics as to why other technology didn't exist and it was much more of a blank slate industry? Yeah. And so there's two things cutting against it. One is the cannabis space just has its own idiosyncrasies and things like that that have to be tailored to. And two was almost everywhere you turned, traditional players were unwilling to touch the cannabis space, even in states that were legal. And so you walk in out of the gate and you have Colorado, Oregon, and Washington really is the the focus at that time. And you go to some traditional player and say, hey, like, are you in this space? Can I plug in? And it's like, no, like no way we're touching that space. Call us in 10 years when it's federally. (laughs) And so your traditional guys that are spanning what 50 industries with their technology have basically blacklisted the cannabis space and say, we'll work with these 50 industries, but we won't work with this one. And so you had all of the mega players out there that just weren't willing to or comfortable from a legal perspective touching this. And a lot of that has to do with public companies, right? Some of the biggest and best technology players out there are public and it becomes Mm -hmm. problematic if you're listed on a U.S. exchange to obviously work in the cannabis space. And so that, whether they wanted to or not, that was a hindrance. So that was really the rationale behind showing up and and having a a largely blank slate to build off of. Yep, that makes sense. And I think those capital markets dynamics are still a pretty strong barrier to entry against those traditional players. It's something we've Yeah, which has been great for the people building in the industry. It gave everybody five years and counting or eight years and counting if you date back to the earlier days of uh, the recreational markets. And really, I think that will be the difference. Like if the wall had fallen down in year three, none of us were ready at the time to fight off an incumbent uh, in, in traditional technology. But now, I mean, people have really created great technology and really hyper tailored to the cannabis space that I don't think you're going to have somebody show up and say, yeah, I want to take three years to learn the space and, and tweak our technology to match right. this. It's very much for many of these guys, it's either going to be like, we're not going to enter it because there's a strong enough player that it's not worth battling them. Or if they do want to enter, it will be a buy rather than a build. Sure. Yep. That makes sense. Colby, one of the things we've talked about in terms of how the landscape has changed since the earlier days is, you know, I think early on in the industry, you saw a lot of tech companies coming up and um, providing very specific point solutions. And so at that point in time, being much more open to integrating their APIs with other cannabis tech businesses. But now as those businesses have maybe grown a little bit and expanded the product offering, are you seeing that tra- that openness transition a little bit more into closed software where, you know, it's, it's maybe a little bit less collaborative now than, than it was in the earlier days? Yeah, the, the evolution is interesting because in the early days, you had two types of companies. One was the person that showed up and said they were going to build everything. And everybody kind of just looked at them and was like, good luck with that. But people tried. And you had those that came in with a very narrow focus and said, here's our core competency and we're going to become the best at this. It's hard enough to become the best at something in cannabis, let alone 10 things. And those of us that were looking to build specific core competencies were all partnering. Like everybody was finding ways to partner in the early days, whether it was 
partnering to bundle a solution to gain a client, partnering to make sure that your technologies talk together and you had proper API integrations, really just a very collaborative environment because the only way anybody was gonna survive is if the industry kind of helped lift itself up. Again, we're building from a blank slate in many ways. Um, what you've seen probably over the last 24 months is companies are reaching scale where it becomes necessary, not just to build in your lane, but you have to build and continue to show that same 100, 200, 300% year over year growth. And in the same way that a lot of public companies that are niche players and then reach a certain market cap and it's like, well, I need you to keep growing this way and they have to find ways of vertical or horizontal integration. You're starting to see the cannabis space find the early days of that. And I think that has led to a lot of people reassessing how open they want to be with their partnerships or with their data or with a number of things. And what's happening is you're saying, that's a market leader that I'm not competing with and don't plan on to. That's a market leader. I should work with these two or three and really create something that works end to end, knowing that I'm not going to wake up and they're going to be in my business in 60 days. And I think that is happening a lot. And then others are, are reaching scale where it's like they may just be starting to internalize and build those things and therefore don't need partnerships to continue to scale. So it's a unique dynamic and one I think we're still very much in the early days and will continue to play yeah. out. They do think you'll start seeing more consolidation, uh, more M&A activity as people scale both horizontally and vertically, but also yeah. um, perhaps some internalizing of certain things and building things inside. Absolutely. Yep. I, I fully agree that, you know, there's definitely going to start to be a lot more consolidation going forward. And, and I think that actually is a nice um, segue into our next topic of conversation, which gets to financing in the cannabis tech space. And so again, um, for, for listeners who may not be as familiar, similar to the fact that most traditional software providers will not operate in cannabis. Similarly, most traditional institutional investors are unable to access cannabis as an, as an asset class for all the reasons that Colby alluded to earlier. Now that said, there's a little bit of a, a bifurcation in the industry in, in the sense that people talk about plant touching businesses like cultivators and dispensaries and the like that need to own a license to operate their business as versus ancillary businesses like technology and business services companies that are supporting the industry's ecosystem, but because they don't have to own a license, they have had a little bit more access to capital, although not necessarily significantly more. So anyway, with, with all that said, it seems like we're really starting to see some renewed interest in the cannabis tech space from traditional financiers. And you know, over the last six months, we've seen several unicorn transactions, including the Weed Maps SPAC. We saw Dutchie uh, in their acquisition of LoopLogix and GreenBits also being valued at a unicorn valuation. So I'm just curious to get your thoughts on how you're seeing valuations in cannabis tech evolve um, going forward here. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because you had guys like Y Combinator, who is very much a market leader, who have had cannabis technology companies as cohorts for a number of years, but you never really saw the big traditional VC guys and the names that everybody knows in the space. And now that they're getting in the space, it seems somewhat later stage than what you would typically see with these guys. It's very much market leaders, several hundred million dollar type valuations. And so 
it's it's interesting to see the penetration point that a lot of these traditional guys are getting in. But I guess if you take it, take off your cannabis goggles that we all kind of have living every day in the space, it, it may to them seem still early stage. Like to us, these companies have been around for five, six years, they're market leaders. But if you're looking holistically at the cannabis space, like these companies in many ways from a traditional lens are still somewhat early stage and are still as, as far as a growth trajectory, have enough of a year over year compounding growth that it's very attractive to those earlier stage investors still. And so for people in the cannabis space, I think that's super attractive because if somebody that normally is investing in A, B rounds, getting in C, D type rounds and mm-hmm. seeing the upside, like that's pretty awesome for everybody in the space if there's that much upside still to have. And you think it just goes back to everybody seems to think we're still in the early innings. And obviously we don't even have a number of states online yet. And what are we at now? 16, I think as of uh, this week, 16 recreational states. Um, And so honestly, it is still the early innings and there is still a lot to be fleshed out and market leaders will change and adjust and winners will be 10 times the size that they are today. And so um, from a cannabis specific focus, I think it's all really good news. Um, rather than something that, that would be viewed negatively because these guys are getting in and seeing the upside and taking a little bit less risky positions in our eyes, but perhaps to them, that sweet spot at risk reward for a later stage uh, Cantec company. Yep, that makes sense. And you know, one of the things that has been interesting, I think the folks in the cannabis tech space is the reluctance of most traditional Silicon Valley VCs to really invest in the space. And, you know, you are starting to see that change. I think notably Founders Fund, Peter Thiel's venture capital fund led LeafLinks last round last year. So that's obviously a big win for the industry, although they frankly have been one of the only earlier ones in the space as they invested in privateer. I want to say back in like 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but anyway, point being, I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts. I mean, do you think that 2021 is finally the year that Silicon Valley kind of starts to take notice of the industry or is there still going to be a little bit of lag time before they really start to get in and maybe that'll require something like the passage of the states act if if i'm betting i think there'll still be a lag i think you will see early movers say we got to get in and maybe a little bit of fomo setting in and somebody finding a deal or two but i just don't think we're at a spot where you're going to see traditional silicon valley open up and start looking at the deal flow that cannabis specific funds are looking at for even if you see some movement at the federal level, I still think there's probably some lag time. Yeah, probably some lag time. Great. Well, Colby, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. As always, I love learning from you. You're certainly one of the most brilliant minds I've met in cannabis. So thank you again for the time. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Happy to join. Happy to uh, participate. It's always fun. It's nice to level up and talk about stuff at a high level sometimes. You get caught in the weeds every day, no pun intended. And uh, <laughs> it's nice every now and then to think about things holistically. So it was fun. Appreciate the time. Absolutely. Great. Thanks so much, Colby. Awesome.